Chapter 5, Part 1 of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes by Anita Luz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Jen Broda. Chapter 5, Part 1 The Central of Europe. May 16th. I really have not written in my diary for quite a long time because Mr. Eisman arrived in Paris. And when Mr. Eisman is in Paris, we really do not seem to do practically anything else but the same thing. I mean, we go shopping, and we go to a show, and we go to Momart, and when a girl is always going with Mr. Eisman, nothing practically happens. And I did not even bother to learn any more French, because I always seem to think it is better to leave French to those that cannot do anything else but talk French. So finally, Mr. Eisman seemed to lose quite a lot of interest in all of my shopping, so he heard about a button factory that was for sale quite cheaply in Vienna, and as Mr. Eisman is in the button profession, he thought it would be quite a good thing to have a button factory in Vienna, so he went to Vienna and he said he did not care if he did not ever see the Rue de la Paix again. So he said if he thought Vienna would be good for a girl's brains, he would send for Dorothy and I, and we could meet him at Vienna and learn something. Because Mr. Eisman really wants me to get educated more than anything else, especially shopping. So now we have a telegram, and Mr. Eisman says in the telegram for Dorothy and I to take an Oriental Express, because we really ought to see the Central of Europe, because we American girls have quite a lot to learn in the Central of Europe. So Dorothy says if Mr. Eisman wants us to see the Central of Europe, she bets there is not a Rue de la Paix in the whole Central of Europe. So Dorothy and I are going to take an Oriental Express tomorrow, and I really think it is quite unusual for two American girls like I and Dorothy to take an Oriental Express all alone, because it seems that in the Central of Europe, they talk some other kinds of languages which we do not understand besides French. But I always think that there is nearly always some gentleman who will protect two American girls like I and Dorothy, who are all alone and who are traveling in the central of Europe to get educated. May 17th. So now we are on an Oriental Express, and everything seems to be quite unusual. I mean, Dorothy and I got up this morning, and we looked out of the window of our compartment, and it was really quite unusual. Because it was farms and we saw quite a lot of girls who seemed to be putting small-size haystacks onto large-size haystacks while their husbands seemed to sit at a table under quite a shady tree and drink beer, or else their husbands seemed to sit on a fence and smoke their pipe and watch them. So Dorothy and I looked at two girls who seemed to be plowing up all of the ground with only the aid of a cow, and Dorothy said, I think we girls have gone one step too far away from New York because it begins to look to me as if the central of Europe is no country for we girls. So we both became quite worried. I mean, I became quite depressed because if this is what Mr. Eisman thinks we American girls ought to learn, I really think it is quite depressing. So I do not think we care to meet any gentlemen who have been born and raised in the central of Europe. I mean, the more I travel, and the more I seem to see other gentlemen, the more I seem to think of American gentlemen. So now I am going to get dressed and go to the dining car and look for some American gentlemen and hold a conversation, because I really feel so depressed. I mean, Dorothy keeps trying to depress me, because she keeps saying that I will probably end up in a farm in the central of Europe 
doing a sister act with a plow. Because Dorothy's jokes are really very unrefined, and I think that I will feel much better if I go to the dining car and have some luncheon. Well, I went to the dining car, and I met a gentleman who was quite a delightful American gentleman. I mean, it was quite a coincidence, because we girls have always heard about Henry Spofford, and it was really nobody else but the famous Henry Spofford, who is the famous Spofford family, who is a very, very fine old family, who is very, very wealthy. I mean, Mr. Spofford is one of the most famous families in New York, and he is not like most gentlemen who are wealthy, but he works all of the time for the good of others. I mean, he is the gentleman who always gets his picture in all of the newspapers because he is always censuring all of the plays that are not good for people's morals. And all of we girls remember the time when he was in the Ritz for luncheon and he met a gentleman friend of his and the gentleman friend had Peggy Hopkins Joyce to luncheon and he introduced Peggy Hopkins Joyce to Mr. Spofford and Mr. Spofford turned on his heels and walked away because Mr. Spofford is a very, very famous Presbyterian, and he is really much too Presbyterian to meet Peggy Hopkins Joyce. I mean, it is unusual to see a gentleman who is such a young gentleman as Mr. Spofford be so Presbyterian, because when most gentlemen are 35 years of age, their minds nearly always seem to be on something else. So when I saw no one else but the famous Mr. Spofford, I really became quite thrilled because all of we girls have tried very hard to have an introduction to Henry Spofford, and it was quite unusual to be shut up on a train in the central of Europe with him. So I thought it would be quite unusual for a girl like I to have a friendship with a gentleman like Mr. Spofford, who really does not even look at a girl unless she at least looks like a Presbyterian. And I mean our family in Little Rock were really not so Presbyterian. So I thought I would sit at his table. So then I had to ask him about all of the money, because all of the money they use in the central of Europe has not even got so much sense to it as the kind of francs they use in Paris, because it seems to be called cronins, and it seems to take quite a lot of them, because it takes 50,000 of them to even buy a small size package of cigarettes. And Dorothy says if the cigarettes had tobacco in them, we couldn't lift enough cronins over a counter to pay for a package. So this morning, Dorothy and I asked the porter to bring us a bottle of champagne, and we really did not know what to give him for a tip. So Dorothy said for me to take one of the things called a one million cronins, and she would take one of them called a one million cronins, and I would give him mine first, and if he gave me quite a dirty look, she would give him hers. So after we paid for the bottle of champagne, I gave him my one million cronins, and before we could do anything else, he started in to grabbing my hand and kissing my hand and getting down on his knees. So we finally had to push him right out of the compartment. So one million cronins seemed to be enough. So I told Mr. Spofford how we did not know what to give the porter when he brought us our bottle of mineral water. So then I asked him to tell me all about all of the money, because I told him I always seemed to think that a penny earned was a penny saved. So it really was quite unusual, because Mr. Spofford said that that was his favorite motto. So then we got to talking quite a lot, and I told him that I was traveling to get educated, and I told him I had a girl with me who I was trying to reform, because I thought if she would put her mind more on getting educated, she would get more reformed. 
because after all, Mr. Spofford will have to meet Dorothy sooner or later, and he might wonder what a refined girl like I was doing with a girl like Dorothy. So Mr. Spofford really became quite intrigued, because Mr. Spofford loves to reform people, and he loves to censure everything, and he really came over to Europe to look at all the things that Americans come over to Europe to look at, when they really should not look at them, but they should look at all of the museums instead. Because if that is all we Americans come to Europe to look at, we should stay home and look at America first. So Mr. Spofford spends all of his time looking at things that spoil people's morals. So Mr. Spofford really must have very, very strong morals, or else all the things that spoil other people's morals would spoil his morals. But they do not seem to spoil Mr. Spofford's morals, and I really think it is wonderful to have such strong morals. So I told Mr. Spofford that I thought that civilization is not what it ought to be, and we really ought to have something else to take its place. So Mr. Spofford said that he would come to call on Dorothy and I in our compartment this afternoon, and we would talk it all over, if his mother does not seem to need him in her compartment, because Mr. Spofford's mother always travels with Mr. Spofford, and he never does anything unless he tells his mother all about it and asks his mother if he ought to. So he told me that that is the reason he has never got married, because his mother does not think that all of the flappers we seem to have nowadays are what a young man ought to marry when a young man is full of so many morals as Mr. Spofford seems to be full of. So I told Mr. Spofford that I really felt just like his mother feels about all of the flappers, because I am an old-fashioned girl. So then I got to worrying about Dorothy quite a lot because Dorothy is really not so old-fashioned, and she might say something in front of Mr. Spofford that might make Mr. Spofford wonder what such an old-fashioned girl as I was doing with such a girl as Dorothy. So I told him how I was having quite a hard time reforming Dorothy, and I would like to have him meet Dorothy, so he could tell me if he really thinks I am wasting quite a lot of time trying to reform a girl like Dorothy. So then he had to go to his mother. So I really hope that Dorothy will act more reformed than she usually acts in front of Mr. Spofford. Well, Mr. Spofford just left our compartment, so he really came to pay a call on us after all. So Mr. Spofford told us all about his mother, and I was really very, very intrigued, because if Mr. Spofford and I become friendly, he is the kind of gentleman that always wants a girl to meet his mother. I mean, if a girl gets to know what kind of a mother a gentleman's mother is like, she really knows more what kind of a conversation to use on a gentleman's mother when she meets her. Because a girl like I is really always on the verge of meeting gentlemen's mothers. But such an unrefined girl as Dorothy is really not the kind of girl that ever meets gentlemen's mothers. So Mr. Spofford says his mother has to have him take care of her quite a lot because Mr. Spofford's mother's brains have never really been so strong, because it seems his mother came from such a very fine old family that even when she was quite a small-sized child, she had to be sent to a school that was a special school for people of very fine old families who had to have things very easy on their brain. So she still has to have things very easy on her brain, so she has a girl who is called her companion who goes with her everywhere who is called Miss Chapman. Because Mr. Spofford says that there is always something new going on in the world, which they did not get a chance to tell her about at the school. So now Miss Chapman keeps telling her instead. 
because how would she know what to think about such a new thing as a radio, for instance, if she did not have a Miss Chapman to tell her what it was, for instance? So Dorothy spoke up, and Dorothy said, What a responsibility that girl has got on her shoulders. For instance, what if Miss Chapman told her a radio was something to build a fire in, and she would get cold some day and stuff it full of papers and light it? But Mr. Spofford told Dorothy that Miss Chapman would never make such a mistake, because he said that Miss Chapman came from a very, very fine old family herself, and she had a very fine brain. So Dorothy said, If she really has got such a fine brain, I bet her fine old family once had an ice man who could not be trusted. So Mr. Spofford and I did not pay any more attention to Dorothy, because Dorothy really does not know how to hold a conversation. So then I and Mr. Spofford held a conversation all about morals, and Mr. Spofford says he really thinks the future of everything is between the hands of Mr. Blank, the district attorney who is now the famous district attorney who is closing up all the places in New York where they sell all of the liquor. So Mr. Spofford said that a few months ago, when Mr. Blank decided he would try to get the job to be the district attorney, he put $1,000 worth of liquor down his sink. So now Mr. Blank says that everybody else has got to put it down their sink. So Dorothy spoke up, and Dorothy said, If he poured $1,000 worth down his sink to get himself $1 million worth of publicity and a good job, when we pour it down our sink, what do we get? But Mr. Spofford is too brainy a gentleman to answer any such a foolish question. So he gave Dorothy a look that was full of dignity, and he said he would have to go back to his mother. So I was really quite angry at Dorothy. So I followed Mr. Spofford down the hall of the railway train, and I asked Mr. Spofford if he thought I was wasting quite a lot of time reforming a girl like Dorothy. So Mr. Spofford thinks I am, because he really thinks a girl like Dorothy will never have any reference. So I told Mr. Spofford I had wasted so much time on Dorothy, it would really break my heart to be a failure. So then I had tears in my eyes. So Mr. Spofford is really very, very sympathetic, because when he saw that I did not have any handkerchief, he took his own handkerchief and he dried up all of my tears. So then he said he would help me with Dorothy quite a lot and get her mind to running on things that are more educational. So then he said he thought that we ought to get off the train at a place called Munich, because it was very full of art, which they call Kunst in Munich, which is very, very educational. So he said he and Dorothy and I would get off of the train in Munich, because he could send his mother right on to Vienna with Miss Chapman, because every place always seems to look alike to his mother anyway. So we are all going to get off the train at Munich, and I can send Mr. Eisman a telegram when nobody is looking because I really do not think I will tell Mr. Spofford about Mr. Eisman, because after all, their religions are different, and when two gentlemen have such different religions, they do not seem to have so much to get congenial about. So I can telegraph Mr. Eisman that Dorothy and I thought we would get off the train at Munich to look at all of the art. So then I went back to Dorothy, and I told Dorothy if she did not have anything to say in the future, to not say it. Because even if Mr. Spofford is a fine old family, and even if he is very Presbyterian, I and he could really be friendly after all and talk together quite a lot. 
I mean Mr. Spofford likes to talk about himself quite a lot, so I said to Dorothy, it really shows that, after all, he is just like any other gentleman. But Dorothy said she would demand more proof than that. So Dorothy says she thinks that maybe I might become quite friendly with Mr. Spofford, and especially with his mother, because she thinks his mother and I have quite a lot in common. But she says, if I ever bump into Miss Chapman, she thinks I will come to a croper, because Dorothy saw Miss Chapman when she was at a luncheon, and Dorothy says Miss Chapman is the kind of a girl that wears a collar and a tie, even when she is not on horseback. And Dorothy said it was the look that Miss Chapman gave her at luncheon that really gave her the idea about the Iceman. So Dorothy says she thinks Miss Chapman has got three-thirds of the brains of that trio of Jeegans, because Jeegans is the slang word that Dorothy has thought up to use on people who are society people, because Dorothy says she thinks any gentleman with Mr. Spofford's brains ought to spend his time putting nickels into an electric piano, but I did not even bother to talk back at such a girl as Dorothy. So now we must get ready to get off the train when the train gets to Munich, so that we can look at all of the Kunst in Munich. May 19th Well, yesterday Mr. Spofford and I and Dorothy got off the train at Munich to see all the Kunst in Munich. But you only call it Munich when you are on the train, because as soon as you get off of the train, they seem to call it Munchen. So you really would know that Munchen was full of Kunst, because in every case that you would not know it, they have painted the word Kunst in large-sized black letters on everything in Munchen, and you cannot even see a boots-black stand in Munchen that is not full of Kunst. So Mr. Spofford said that we really ought to go to the theater in Munchen, because even the theater in Munchen was full of Kunst. So we looked at all of the bills of all of the theaters, with the aid of quite an intellectual hotel clerk who seemed to be able to read it and tell us what it said, because it really meant nothing to us. So it seems they were playing Kiki in Munchen, so I said, let us go and see Kiki, because we have seen Lenore Ulrich in New York, and we would really know what it was all about even if they do not seem to talk the English language. So then we went to the Kunst Theater so it seems that Munchen is practically full of Germans, and the lobby of the Kunst Theater was really full of Germans who stand in the lobby and drink beer and eat quite a lot of Bermudian onions and garlic sausage and hard-boiled eggs and beer before all of the acts. So I really had to ask Mr. Spofford if he thought we had come to the right theater, because the lobby seemed to smell such a lot. I mean, when the smell of beer gets to be antique, it gets to smell quite a lot. But Mr. Spofford seemed to think that the lobby of the Kunst Theater did not smell any worse than all of the other places in Munich. So then Dorothy spoke up, and Dorothy said, You can say what you want about the Germans being full of Kunst, but what they are really full of is delicatessen. So then we went into the Kunst Theater, but the Kunst Theater does not seem to smell so good as the lobby of the Kunst Theater and the Kunst Theater seems to be decorated with quite a lot of what tripe would look like if it was pasted on the wall and gilded. Only you could not really see the gilding, because it was covered with quite a lot of dust. So Dorothy looked around, and Dorothy said, If this is Kunst, the art center of the world is Union Hill, New Jersey. So then they started in to playing Kiki, but it seems that it was not the same kind of Kiki that we have in America, 
because it seemed to be all about a family of large-sized German people who seemed to keep getting in each other's ways. I mean, when a stage is completely full of two or three German people who are quite large size, they really cannot help it if they seem to get in each other's ways. So then Dorothy got to talking with a young gentleman, who seemed to be a German gentleman who sat back of her, who she thought was applauding. But what he was really doing was cracking a hard-boiled egg on the back of her chair. So he talked English with quite an accent that seemed to be quite a German accent, so Dorothy asked him if Kiki had come out on the stage yet. So he said no, but she was really a beautiful German actress who came clear from Berlin, and he said we should really wait until she came out, even if we did not seem to understand it. So finally, she came out. I mean, we knew it was her because Dorothy's gentleman friend nudged Dorothy with a sausage. So we looked at her, and we looked at her, and Dorothy said, if Schumann Heinke still has a grandmother, we have dug her up in Munchen. So we did not bother to see any more of Kiki, because Dorothy said she would really have to know more about the foundations of that building before she would risk our lives to see Kiki do that famous scene where she faints in the last act. Because Dorothy said, if the foundations of that building were as antique as the smell, there was going to be a catastrophe when Kiki hit the floor. So even Mr. Spofford was quite discouraged, but he was really glad because he said he was 100% of an American and it served the Germans right for starting such a war against all we Americans. May 20th. Well, today Mr. Spofford is going to take me all around to all of the museums in München, which are full of Kunst that I really ought to look at, but Dorothy said she had been punished for all of her sins last night, so now she is going to begin life all over again by going out with her German gentleman friend, who is going to take her to a house called the Halfbrow House, which is the world's largest size of a beer hall. So Dorothy said I could be a highbrow and get full of Kunst, but she is satisfied to be a halfbrow and get full of beer. But Dorothy will really never be full of anything else but unrefinement. End of chapter 5, part 1